You're listening to Force Fed Digital. BXU Heard. What's good? It's your boy Kingsbridge Rich, and this is the My Bronx Story Podcast, Episode 7, Gangs of New York, man. What's going on? Um, I'm excited to come over here with you guys on this journey, and we're going to cover the Bronx in all aspects, go through this nostalgia joint and experiences. But y'all been rocking with me heavy, and I like that, so I just got to give it up one time for you. Um, I appreciate all the support and everything, man. But for those of you who um, you follow me somehow, somehow you got here and um, you might have come from one forms, but please, I would love for you to be connected in all forms. So you can catch me on my IG. You can catch me as Kingsbridge underscore rich or you can catch me at the My Bronx Story IG page. Um, connect. There's a bunch of pictures that I post and posts that I post that can't fly anywhere else. And this is an audio podcast at the moment. So if you want to catch those visuals, you want to connect with me there. Then I got TikTok, man. Much love to all my TikTokers out there. I do TikTok, but I haven't been doing TikTok dances. That's not my thing. I do much of the same. I share stories and I give you old videos. So if you want to catch that, catch my playlist. I go live every so often. So any um any opportunity you guys get to connect with me there, if you're from the TikTok world and shout outs to you um i got a lot of love on tiktok so it's been a good platform for me to share but here we go with this project the my bronx story podcast and you guys have been rocking with me so again i appreciate that and it's all love so i give it up on time for y'all and um so today man like i'm thinking there's so much going on in the world man and i i cover nostalgia and i go back in time a lot but it's just crazy to say that many times a lot of what i talk about be a lot of what's still happening and these are stories that go back 30 years, even 20, 30, 35 years. And I'm sharing these experiences. And when I look back and I reflect, there's just so much similarity still of things that we haven't even came out of. And so, like, when I think about the times, current times, right, and, and the subject today, because today we're talking about gangs in New York. And I had this idea of coming about all these experiences I had in the 90s and kind of describe it. But I really been thinking with everything going on with like Palestine and we have Israel and we have, you know, this border. And not that I'm into history like that or whatever. I'm just, you know, I can tell you I'm just catching my information from TikTok and news. But I'm putting my heart on it to kind of describe something because at the core of everything, what happens, we fight over our differences, even though we have so much more in common. And if we focus on what we got in common, we wouldn't fight as much. And that goes on every level. So I don't have to be an expert to know human nature. And from what I see what's going on, it looks like it still lines up with what we're going to talk about, gangs. Because when all this hits the fan and everything is crazy and the economy crashes and all of this, you best believe that the show is going to be run by gangs. So it might be a good idea to kind of not look at gangs and approach your idea of gangs, not like you see it in Hollywood and movies, because it's far from that. There's, there's so much more into it. So I, I hope to cover in this episode the little nuances between like, you know, gangs, how they're portrayed on film, because I'm representing the East Coast. And so gangs in the East Coast looks much different than gangs and, you know, the colors and, and you know, the way that your, your gang affiliation exteriorized, you know, so all of that stuff and the way it played out is much different from coast to coast. So so I kind of want to share of how the stuff hit the East Coast and how I saw it. You know, the, the imagery I want to give you is a picture painted from 1993. I like to take it because um, 
there's a there's a big thing that happens when you change from junior high school to high school. And in my experience, I go to high school and now I'm traveling off my block. So if my block was covered by like a predominant group, like I'd only know that because I haven't traveled much. But now if I'm at this point where I'm traveling further, I'm, I'm traversing different areas of the Bronx. I'm going into the city. And so high school became that point where this kind of stuff happened. So I like to take it to 1993 because this is the year that I had joined my first gang and it was a local gang. And so like, let's talk a little bit about gangs because I have a whole list here, a reference list of all the gangs that I can remember uh, having interactions with, uh, remembering. I even went online and I was trying to look up like forums and Reddit. And it's crazy because a lot of the things that I remember that I'm going to talk about here, I don't find. And I like to do that just as a backup, just so I can get a fuller picture because, you know, I'm, I'm up there in age a little something and it's not that easy to remember certain things. So, you know, just to kind of give me a little boost in my memory. And it was so hard to find things that I remember happening that I remember being widespread. And it was even hard to find like articles because like, unless you know exact terminology, you don't find it. And that's all to say that like these memories are much more valuable. I'm kind of putting an archive out here talking about it. So, you know, I, I, I went and I did my research and, you know, not much that I found there to kind of reinforce where my mind was going with this, uh, this idea of gangs. But then I also like, you know, I made the list off of memory and, um, and, you know, some videos that I've done, I've also covered on my TikTok videos, talking a little bit about gangs just to kind of, you know, freshen my memory. But, you know, when it comes to the whole idea of the nineties and, and, and gangs, you know, it was, it was, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's more than my experiences that people would think blood, people would think crib, um, because it's more on a national scale. So again, I kind of give it up to the West Coast, because the West Coast and the way that they've been doing the gangs and gang banging, that, that was like super raw. But their whole demographic is different too, and I'm going to get into that, because you have to take in consideration that the way that they got down, like you had whole sections of their areas that was like one race, and you don't come to this side. Then you had Mexicans on another side of town. Right. The layout in New York is much different. We got buildings stacked on top of each other. We're not like how the West Coast, they got their cars pucked up, you know, in front of their house. And, and, you know, they got these row houses. And, you know, this is just me talking to you the way I see it on, on um, GTA, maybe, because <laughs> I've never been out there. Music videos, whatever. But like their layout is completely different. It rocked different. You got areas broken up by race the way that it, that it is. Right. And then you got you got like the East Coast with, you know, buildings on buildings. You got black and brown brothers all in the same mix right there. You know, us Latin people come in all shades. So like you got a whole mix of things. And so even when it came down to the gangs and, and who decided to, you know, to be a part of what gang, that was a big issue. You know, so we had race and we had race matters amongst us as well. But what I don't stand for is. And, and this is my experience, and I'm going to share like more personal elements and, and the reason why I had joined the gang in the first place, which a lot of it was nonchalant, no lie. But when I look back and I think of, you know, like the, just my upbringing and how I came up, I could see why I gravitated to community, to a group. Because in essence, gang is a gang. Like, you know, even we say casually, oh, yeah, I'm coming with the gang. And I might be talking about me showing up somewhere with my family. But like, you know, in the terms of gangs and stuff like that, like, you know, Hollywood would demonize gangs to make it look like gang bad person bad person instead of looking at it with the lens of like troubled person you know this person in their core suffering from some type of need to have attention they might not feel like they have a voice at home or anywhere 
you know, their parents may be over heavy handed. So now they kind of take that and project it somewhere else so they could feel a sense of power since they gave up some of their power. And, and that's the case for us who have joined. And I can tell you, look, I, just to paint the picture now, right? 1993, these are my experiences, and this kind of became the milestone year for me I could describe, right? One, I lost my father September 3rd, 1993, the day before my first day of high school. That's one part, right? The place I call home, though, was physically, mentally, and emotionally abusive. The place that I call home was during the time I was with my mom and my mom's care. I've shared some stories, but all to say to summarize it, I came from a very tough household. And there was a lot of emotional instability. You know, it was mental health. Was, there was definitely a need for that on all ends. We, were, we had so much trauma that we was experiencing that we couldn't even wrap our heads around. I had just, my father had just went to prison um, when I was six years old. I didn't see him for five years. Well, you know, we had little trips here and there, but on the outside, I didn't get to experience father time. And before that, we was taking trips to the Dominican Republic, to Jamaica, you know, different states and stuff. We moved around a lot, you know, so I, I got a chance to, to remember those things and then they were gone. And then we went to, you know, the crack era in the, in the Bronx, you know, in Highbridge area with all kind of zombie-ish uh, things going on. So all this stuff had happened as trauma that's been going years and years. And like I said, high school being this whole pivot in your life that now you're traveling or you're with bigger problems now because you're you know you're older your emotions you have puberty all these just so much is going on that makes high school times a milestone but now geographically like i said you're going from place to place before the little people you had to deal with was like like kind of like in the movie juice rodamez and his crew you always had a rodamez and his crew you always had these dudes from you know, the older boys from like three blocks down that always picked on you now you have to cross the street go to the store look twice to make sure they wasn't there and it's like oh they're there hopefully they don't like you know skip a rock by my feet or do something little provocations that happen in the hood those are your little small flies those are your little small problems but then like now you're in high school now you're going through dealing with people from other blocks that you know they don't they don't care you're not from their town anyway there's so much less likely of a chance that what you're going to do go from the other side of the bronx all the way back here like where you go to school this is where we live this is where we're from and, and, you know, that, that thing makes a big difference. But again, like the whole idea of like the usual suspects that people think in current times, you think blood and crip, but blood and crip, you think eighties, West coast, the East coast, all that stuff was really starting to pop a little bit in the nineties. So like, you know, let me buzz down a little bit about like the gangs or whatever, but nonetheless, you know, I'm going to get into some of the who, what, where's and, and, and stuff like that with, with the gangs that are not just the blood crips, like what we hear now. Um, I'm going to break down Dominican gangs, you know, honorable mentions to like Albanian gangs because they was there um, and and all sorts of gangs. And then the gangs that we kind of encountered if we left the school, if we left the borough entirely, you know, went into Manhattan. But yeah, again, I lost my father first the day before my first day of high school. I realized at some point now that I'm going to be staying home. And these alternating weekends were not going to occur no more. These uh, alternating weekends with my father were the sense of peace, the sense of family, the sense of tradition. And on the other side of my family, my Puerto Rican side, my aunts and uncles have all been gone to other states, you know, um, minus one who had a, a crack addiction. So, you know, the only two that were behind was, you know, my mother on drugs and my aunt on drugs. So uh, it was real tough to be home. And this is now the home that I'm going to be kind of stuck to because I'm not 
I'm not freed up from that time no more because now my father's passed, right? So somehow my mind figured out that life will continue to be hell and now I ain't got no relief. But now look at 1993 again, right? And I want to take it back for context because now this is a year that's on the outskirts of the Rodney King beatings, right? I'm a kid on the couch watching the news, watching TV for hours, you know, riding off of the hype of my mom who was excessively on the news, who had anxiety. So we have trauma at home. We have these experiences of feeling trauma, right? And having these stresses at home, being beat up and abused and, and the things that we went through, right? But then we have the trauma of witnessing what outside looks like, right? So this is perception is reality. You're a kid and I'm, this is me painting myself to, to show you what the experience felt like, right? I'm a kid that at home, I, I, I have physical bruises, you know, I, I can't get it right. I'm screamed that often. Um, I'm called names, right? This is my reality, right? I, so that doesn't make you as a human being feel like a full human being. You don't feel like you can, you're, you're important at all, right? You just, you just got to stay out the way. But then now you see on TV, right? Rodney King beatings, right? You have NWA screaming, fuck the police and, and tons of clips of your people, being pushed around, right? You get this vivid image, right? And in my case, I get this vivid picture of outside also being unsafe and unfair. And so my senses are heightened to un un unjustness, right? And that's something that's carried with me to this day. I don't like the whole thing of bullies. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't stand for that. And a lot of that was informed by these experiences that I had. But these are also the experiences that made me gravitate toward gangs because it was so painful at home. Outside was unsafe and here goes now this experience with people where everybody can kick it. Everybody else has it rough as you because we're all from the same areas. You know, I would say the majority of us only have one parent. And so the struggle is real and similar for each of us. Now the camaraderie happens. Now we're chilling amongst each other and we're building with each other. And it's crazy because like, I think now when I reach out to adults and I talk with adults, we ask each other, how are you doing? You know, are you well? And we check in with that, but I can remember as a kid, there never being a room or a place for that. I was never taught. I don't think we were taught or we understood how to express our emotions. It wasn't that we saw another friend outside. Hey, let me talk to you. You know, I'm going through this and that at home. No, we just, hey, what you up to? And it was just an escape. And it's to show you that kids need to be nurtured. Because like, you know, we talk about curbing this gang issue. And I'm going to get into that because I don't really think gangs should be curbed you know i think you know bad instances should but i have this whole kind of idea on that but this is the kid who ends up joining the gang this kid has neglect at home they need attention they gravitate toward a gang because now they feel like you know somebody's paying attention to them they matter something's a little bigger than them and in my case 1993 i had moved to this i i talked in another podcast about this house that i lived in it was a very very rundown house uh, heroin addicts all inside of it. I was scared to use the bathroom, broken bathroom, didn't shower for like a month or whatever. Just deplorable uh, conditions, but we were renting a room. It was my mother and her boys, and she was pregnant of my little sister. This is 1993. But we had moved to this block from another block as we had throughout the years. It was a, a pattern of evictions, and we went from one place to the next. We made it to that area in general because my uncle had gotten arrested. And so we took over his apartment until we lost that. And um, that was the cat cat catalyst for us being in a room now until things changed. And so we're in this room 
and there's these local kids and I felt intimidated because I would come back and forth uh, from the store and they had a video game in the back. They would usually bodegas would have a couple of video games, um, these big systems in the back of their stores or whatever that or one of those gambling arcade machines. So I remember like I'd want to play a game and I go back there and I felt intimidated by the local kids on that block. So the way that I met those kids was that one of them knows this uh, Indian kid named Rocky, right? West Indian kid. So um, he said something. I can't remember what he said, but I know I was intimidated. I went home. I was telling my mom about it. Yo, my mom had this fake gun that looked real. It was die cast metal. Had a brown handle, but the handle was plastic, but you couldn't really tell it. But you can open up. It was a revolver style, and you can open up the whole chamber, and, and the front was blacked out. It was crazy. It had, heavy, it was, had weight to it. It looked like you can convert it to, to be a real gun. But I remember my mom, like I told her that hey, I don't... I don't remember her having any expression. It wasn't like it was something serious that she, her blood boiled and she just, you know, took in everything I said and then disappeared. And so what I found out later is that my mom went across the street to the store, took the gun out, described me, was asked my son, and then she went home. And from that point, whoever was in the store at that time was my friend. And this is 13-year-old me meeting the kids. But now these kids, they wasn't wild kids. They were cool kids, right? But like, they were native from that area. I had bounced around, so I was like nomadic. You know, we, we from eviction to eviction. This is why we know so many people in different areas. Um, and so that was the case with us. But these kids had lived there for a while, so they knew everybody. So I kind of cleaved to them because, you know, safety. And the 90s was wild all around. So, like, you couldn't just... It, it was tough to be a kid that moved around. And even living up that way, I still had to finish junior high school and I traveled until I finished and then I had to go to high school. But again, this is the very same year that I joined a gang. This is my hot boy summer, guys. Check the podcast, episode two, my my, my 30th anniversary of the my hot boy summer, my first hot boy summer. Uh, I talk a little bit about the, what kind of summer, but a lot of things happened that summer. And, and one of the ones that I didn't get to expound on was me joining the gang. So the local kids, you know, we're playing street games one summer, first summer, meeting all these kids. Everybody's in their innocence. Here comes the next year. You know, Wu-Tang wants to come out. Heavy hitters, you know, the the whole ruggedness and, and Timberland. And, you know, we started just getting up on that. And before you know it, we went from like, you know, wanting to play these games and stoop games to we thought we was the biggest thugs in the world, <laughs> you know. And it wasn't that we was out there like menacing or doing anything crazy or trying to get guns and stuff. We was just, you know, all in our posture tough. And a lot of the toughness that you had to do to prove yourself was to stand your ground, not to go out your way. Right. That to me was what really what the way I would describe the 90s. You didn't have to like if somebody walked past your block and they were walking hard, you tested them because they were playing themselves by walking through your walking that hard through my block. If you know you don't know nobody, why are you doing that? Right. Those those are kind of the that was the, the, the grievances we had with each other. You know what I mean? Or on the whole top end of like gangs, like I was sharing, when people go ahead and like, you know, they get into criminal enterprise and stuff, you're making money. Anytime there's money, there's going to be violence. Like no matter what, that's just going to be the way things go. But nonetheless, like, so we were doing different things and bigger things. And we got a part of a crew called KFH, right? And I'm still friends with some of them too, to this day. We talk about it, but like, I remember... Outside was the escape, and I was always outside, and I was outside as much as I could because being indoors was like punishment. 
um, for many reasons, not just because it was hostile at home, but just very deplorable conditions as well. This was inhumane. Like nobody should have lived in those conditions. Lest uh, you know, this is the Bronx. Um, you know, drugs and and the proximity to all of that. Like it was just, it was crazy. People, you have to, you have to put a a lock on your door to make sure, like you know, you don't go too far outside your room to make sure nobody steals anything from you. Like you shouldn't have to live like that. Your mom being gone all day and you're just two kids in a room. You can't really step out on your own because somebody could take your stuff. There's one key. Your mom wants to hold this, so don't leave the room. It's just, you know, this this is again these things. In my case, and in many people's cases, be the things that you carry into, you know, the streets, whatever. And this is trauma. So KFH, you know, we think we hot shit. We we you know with our Timberlands, we at the Army Navy store getting our Army jackets, getting our Timberlands Scully hats, whatever. Get your big Kobe headphones. Get your Jansport bags. And so you know we were just you know trooping, trooping mad deep you know to somebody's house. And then you get to that house and pick one person up and you go to the next and, you know, we call it a day, you know, and, and now it was a whole different thing. But now in this gang and the way I joined it is there was this guy that, you know, he told me, oh, you want to be down? I was like, yeah, he was from my block. Right? I was a white boy, my boy. I. So we go up to this other guy's apartment and um, he looks through the peephole and he's like, oh, so you want to be down? I'm like, yeah, he's OK. I need you to kill somebody. And he said it just like that. Like, I think back now, he wasn't really, like, it was, he was really testing me. Like, I'm not going to, you know, be on this pod talking about, like, it was really going to be that I was going to have a hit. But in my mind, I didn't give it much thought because my world had crashed anyway. You know, my father had just passed. I was so numb. I was numb on top of everything. So I'm, I'm at a point of hopelessness. I'm at a point that, like, I'm so desensitized to anything that any sensation is I. But I was like, whatever. So it was more like, you know, whatever kind of thing not like yes i am willing to to take the repercussions that come along with taking a person's like you don't factor any of that in you're just like what's good yeah what's the cause you know i'm sure y'all thought it out so yeah yeah what's good i got you so um you know i'm rolling with this crew whatever you know he gives me the okay and i'm I'm down and we meet up and we just local up and down and stuff trying to like holler at the girls from ursula mount saint ursula we'll post up on on the concourse and bedford park and holler at the girls and just like little innocent things but sooner sooner or later it went from like so what happens is that then you find out that one of your friends got beef and now everybody got to respond so all that stuff that was cool about kicking it to girls in the corner whatever and it being light changes all of a sudden now you find out like one of your peoples that be you know he, he on the street with you all the time you know what i mean like y'all hold each other down you make each other laugh you're with this person so many hours that person has an escape in you you have an escape in them and now you find out that they got trouble you have to imagine these like some people think to themselves like you're not scared of what what's fear to the kid that's been hit so hard by an adult to to face another teen you understand? Like, when you got that, ex- like, that can either make or break you. That could turn you into somebody that, like, you know, yeah, I, I've been hit by an adult. I've been ragged by an adult. Like, you think I'm scared of what you can do to me? And and it's funny, like, you know, I, I say, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm a five-foot-four dude living the way I live and, you know, talking back the way I talk and, and holding my ground and being, you know, whoever I was, you know? Knowing that I'm in a, I'm in a world full of people who might to them feel a lot more capable at any of those points i never felt that inferiority of feeling like i'm not as capable as the next person you could be two whole feet bigger than me i never to this day never had the sense 
And so imagine when you think about the gutter that it takes for people to do these crimes, these kids have witnessed a lot at their own homes by the people who are supposed to love and care for them. It's not hard to think that this person, a defense for another victim, because in this camaraderie, you find out your friends have these experiences, you understand, or you understand things about them and, and their nature, you, you get real connected with them. You're willing to risk your own life, whether it's to pass or whether it's to get locked up for them, because all of y'all in your own way could be victims. And then, of course, you got other people who are posers. They just want to be down just to be down. And then, you know, something something hits the fan real hard and they snitch. And that's when they found out for the first time that they're not real. They believe it. They, they buy into the hype. There's people like that, too. But gangs ain't going away. And it's, it's uh in my experience, like, you know, it kind of was a, a progression until, like, I wasn't really wanting to be with it anymore. And with that, it was politics because now the power trips are start, some of the things that I started seeing. Somebody who want to rank up and they just doing too much. Now, all of a sudden, they always got beef. They always want to pull the squad out. They always want to be up to side. Now, the whole squad got to keep on reacting because this dude want to be hot with his mouth because he know he got a squad behind him. You know, so now he's making noise and, and we got to back it up. And, you know, we're trying to also appeal to the bigger gangs. And now there's power trips. So this person got this status, but this person wants to be bigger than this person. And now it comes down to all oh, these guys are from one side of town, but they're not from the side of town that we're from. And and comes in like set tripping, you know, like the way people could be of one gang, but they're still beefing within. We started having that issue because some people who are closer to like the Grand Concourse, Valentine, Briggs, Decatur, on my side of town, we, we was rocking less with the dudes that was down from like 205th Street area and, and Mashula area, like on that side of town, because we were kind of like in, in that area uptown. So it's, it's more of an issue that like, you know, we was having like this little political turmoil and, and it kind of was like a, a coup that happened where this one dude, you know, I think the coup was just given up to him. And then the guy that originally had created the crew just didn't want to rock with it no more, left it to him. And then in our loyalty, we stepped off. And the data shows that most people who be down in gangs be like, you know, one or two years, you know, not too much. And that's really all it takes for you to get into a lot of trouble. And, in, in, you know, again, in all this unprocessed trauma, the boredom. You know, a lot of times these crimes are just boredom. Like a bunch of people get together, start doing some dumb shit, and it just escalates or get dumb ideas that you have time to act on. You know what I mean? Three, four, it, it becomes exciting. It becomes, and even more so now that we got times where people need to record. So now everybody feel like they, you know, they can capture a moment and spread it for clout. Back then, the only clout was your name resonated in the hood, which what we say, your name rings bells. Like when you say somebody's name rings bells, is that... It wasn't no internet, somebody had to type something about somebody. Like, your name is established. People will describe you, describe things about you, remember that you was there, could point you out. Your name rang bells. Like, people would know, like, you know, you had some type of status or whatever. So, anyway, all that stuff started happening with this KFH crew. Initiations, I'm here fighting in the park with a dude over initiation. And, you know, it was real gang stuff. Like, you know, they, they had rules. We were trying to do things to, like, seem like we was cooler with... um this other this other gang or whatever um latin kings and you know it was uh it was my reason and it's a lot of times what you see other people um joining for so it's not to demonize it like we we spend a lot of time really focused on the bad guys and looking at people like they monsters and we don't look a little deeper into that and see the pain and see the hurt of these people but nonetheless, this is just my experience and my my first experience in it. But to kind of 
share how the 90s looked now, we had a ton of gangs and we had a ton of beads and we had a ton of things going on. Like people was coming back and forth on the trains. People was wearing beads. That was another thing. Handshakes galore. And that's another thing. When you're in the gang, you feel cool as shit just throwing your, you know what I mean? Like you feel like there's a distinction between you now and civilians. And now you got this whole swag to you and stuff, and you see your boy, you you know, you throwing your your sign. And so in the nineties, like like everybody and their mother was down with some type of gang. So here we had Latin Kings, right? These are more of the common ones. And so I think Latin Kings you have to be like sixteen to be in it or whatever. There's a certain age, like again, like this is they they have organization to them. But in ninety three we had to deal with Latin Kings, we had to deal with Nietas, we had to deal with Zulu Nation. And Zulu Nation is surprising to some people because people know Zulu Nation as hip-hop, African Bambada, but people don't really think about, you know, the origins. And, you know, I, I tell you, look into that a little further. I don't have to explain all that here, but we got the Black Spades. Zulu Nation moved like a gang. If ever you mess with one of them, you have 40 of them. They were super organized. Their OGs would show up freaking, it, it, it would get, you know, they'll, they'll, they went down for theirs. I used to hear Zulu Nation and all the raps. I thought it was just like a producer. <laughs> you know, I used to watch these videos and stuff and, and you hear them, but, you know, I didn't think that I would see kids my age going to beefs because that's the other thing. There would be beefs that you'd be called out from. So it's crazy. Like this little crew that I was in before got disbanded, right? I remember we was trying to like, we would try to pop off so like the bigger gangs were like us. And I remember there was this one instance that we had popped off and we had got some recognition right, by the Zulu dude. I'm not going to name names out here, whatever. But he was an established Zulu Nation dude, and he had a chapter. So he was like, yo, you know, I want your whole crew to be down with the chapter. But then some of us, what we wanted to do, we really, really wanted to go with Latin King because Latin King really caught the shots. And they looked more like, you know, the par. Like, they were just a tougher crew in, in the 90s. Like, you know, if you was a king, there was always something with the kings, but, like, a bunch of Puerto Ricans, yellow and black everywhere, super large numbers anytime there was like a parade they'd be marching like it was always numbers with them so like as young cats and knowing that there was beef you're just like might as well you know we see how hot it is and crazy how it is outside in the 90s you felt like you had to be a part of something or you was just you just expected something was gonna you know come your way and i was of the mindset again like i said i had all that pain that i had experienced so like i was numb to it it was like yeah, I'm gonna be with, with with a crew because if something pop off, I can't like go to sleep. And I've had that. I've I've been jumped in. I've had little issues of people like kind of like punking me and stuff like that, and they ain't feel good. And so I knew at some point like I'm not letting this happen again. But the Latin Kings was calling the shots, and we were trying to like you know really like pop off with them. So here's here's this instance that like, it was funny because my first experiences with gangs wasn't just joining a gang. My very 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 first experience was living in Highbridge. I had this friend, so he he's a few, I'm 44 now, right? So this is, I'm probably eight or nine years old. This is 1986, seven, 1988. One of those years, I can do the math, but, you know, I don't know if I was seven, eight or nine, Um, but it was around then that he had to be like maybe 12 or 13, you know, just a few years older than me. So it's a, it's a well-known Latin king named Satana, right? But he grew up in my area. And um, I remember my first experience with gangs was that he would wear yellow and black and he'll throw the, the crown up. And his family was down too. He had a brother that was in Yeta. But we lived on 165th and Nelson Avenue in Highbridge. They were from Woodycrest around the block. And I remember this experience. It was the first time I saw a gun shot. 
And I remember Galito, he had got into a problem in the area. But I was with him. I was this little kid, like, running with him, right? Running around with him at that moment. So I don't remember what the altercation was, but I know I followed him to the building that he was from. And I remember his, his father, I think his father had a brother. I think they were twins or something. It was two big dudes, but these dudes looked like Captain Lou Albano. They had these big, they looked like biker dudes with these big beards and stuff, heavy set. So I remember he said something to his father. And I don't remember what the words was, but I remember his father's face becoming like enraged. His father goes, grabs a toolbox, right? He opens his toolbox up, pulls out a sawed-off shotgun, pumps it, he starts shooting in the air. Bah, chica, bah. I got dizzy at that moment because, like, the, the sound of the shots echoing from the building walls, because we're, like, in a little alley, like, where you throw garbage out. So you got these building, building, you know, on the walls are right near you. And, and so you got this ricochet of sound vibrating off the wall. Bang, 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 right? I run and I slip. Cause I'm trying to run out. Like I, I don't, I don't know at that moment that this is even his father. You know what I mean? I just know I'm following him. He's telling him something happened to me, and then this dude pulls out and just starts shooting in the air. And then my boy runs off, and I run off too, right? So he's a Latin king, and that entire that area had a lot of Latin kings, and so I saw that a lot. So here, fast forward, right? This is crazy, cause right before this crew got disbanded, there was this big beef that we got called for. So our crew was like, you know what? We're going to put in work. And the meetup was at uh, Clinton. And so in this beef, we were actually going to go to war with the Dominicans from Walton High School. There was a standing beef between the Latin Kings, the Nietas, and um, Matatanas, MTTN, right? And so of the Dominican crews back then, you had Patria, right? You had MTTN, Matatanas, and you had DDP, Dominicans Don't Play. So there was always a scuffle between the Latin Kings and the Nietas, who were like cousins in the gang world, right? Um, Zulus. It, it wasn't really in that year. You didn't hear a lot of beefs with like Bloods, Crips. Like they were around, but they were more established in prison. And on the outside, to be quite honest with you, in those years, like if they were strong in a pocket, they were strong in a pocket. But like to be widespread, they wasn't. A lot of times there was a green light on them and they would be chased and stuff. And again, this is no disrespect to them. This is just the way it was in the early 90s. They weren't the predominant one. And there was always a green light because their rivals were stronger than them at the time, you know. But um, And it didn't stay that way for a while because then in the upper 90s, everything changed. And so it kind of got topsy-turvy. A lot of like Latin kings and stuff would diminish in numbers and, you know, all these altercations. A lot of and, and them being so highly organized, right, there'll be a lot of, like, the FBI probing them and, and you know, just kind of just challenging them in a way that it just, you know, affects their numbers or whatever. So, you know, things did change for a while. But I see this guy that I recognize at this beef, and it's Galito, it's Satanás, the guy that I knew from, from Highbridge. And I go up to him because I haven't seen him in years. We don't have cell phones that we're in touch. You know, we're not, on the, this is 1993. And we're in front of Clinton High School. And I see him from far. And there's like a big circle around them of his kings. There's nietas alongside. They got everybody get their beads so you can tell who's who. You have some Zulu Nation and you have different sets that are on deck. They got their beads and their colors and their, you know, their flag up. And then the little crews. You had the crews like my crew, KFH, came to represent other little crews from the neighborhoods and stuff. And um, we were there. So I come and I approach Calito. And I'm like, yo, bro, what's going on? I'm not sure if you remember me. He looked at me, but his attention is on me and then also on 
everyone else. He's looking around because he's standing and he's pointing fingers and he's waving in a circle and he's throwing his, you know, his hands. So like I'm kind of interrupting his, you know, his, his, what he's doing. He's orchestrating certain things and I'm here just kind of catching up. So in the mix of that, he gives me his attention and he's like, oh, what's good? He daps me up and then he looks at me and he's like, what you doing here? And I told him, yeah, we showed up, you know, because we heard you, y'all, whatever. Uh, I can't, I really don't remember the words, but I know at that point when I tell him, yo, like, you know, we came to put in work and I was showing him where I came from. He looked at me, he was like, yo, do me a favor, go home. And I'm like, what you talking about, go home? And he's like, nah, go home. And he didn't do it in any way that he played me, but I felt played. And I looked at him like on some, like, yo, what you talking about? Like, you know, like, I felt like, like, you, you think I can't, you know, I can't like pop off or whatever. And not that I said any of that. Um, and sure enough, I'm glad that I didn't go because a few people got stabbed up that day, you know, and it, it became, it was a real bad rumble, but it was crazy how I saw him and it was so many years. So these, these are my experiences, you know, with gangs, but shortly after that, the gang disbanded and there was all that like internal conflict that we had. But, you know, from that point, I never really joined the gang after that. You know, I wasn't really with it, but I understand where it comes from. And we think about it, right? I was talking about like the West Coast and East Coast, the differences, Right, East Coast, you're taking trains and buses. You have buildings. Buildings are stacked on top of each other. West Coast, everybody riding out in their cars and everybody got a whip. Everybody moved from one you know, side of the hood to another side of the hood or whatever. Now for us on the East Coast, right, we think about like the 80s and we think about like what type of kids was getting into the gangs in the 90s, right? We got the latchkey kids, not too much supervision, Right, because some of some of the things like I talked about, like beatings and stuff like that. But right, there's kids that didn't see their adult. You know, you're in a single family home. You didn't see your adult all day. We're the kids that like had to take meat out the freezer to defrost before mom came home to whip up a meal. And in some cases, you made a, a white rice ahead of time. You know, we're the kids that you know we didn't have too much supervision. We're also the kids that we had that announcement that it's 10 p.m. Do you know who your children are? So, like, we kind of raise ourselves. And so it's, it's no coincidence that gangs were what they were, where it's like, you know, you, you needed that sense of belonging. And, again, just attacking it from many angles to understand that, like, we tend to demonize gangs instead of looking at the victim and, and taking it from there. And I really believe that, like, whatever gang problem we have would be much better if we had a better grasp on mental health. You know, family, even family, like, you know, there's the, tra so a lot of these kids are experiencing trauma at a young age and they start acting out and then they feel like I can't, I don't play well in the school environment. I keep getting in trouble. So I must fit well with those people over there, like the castaways, you know? So it's terrible because this, this is really when you think about it, like, you know, these are the kids that their parents passed away from AIDS, caught AIDS or something, got sick. And now, like, you have a single family home and you got this trauma because, like, back then it was a death sentence. Not like now you can, you know, you can be infected, but then take medicine and you can live your life differently, carefully, but you can still live. Back then you get the news of that, you know, a lot of, like, sharing needles and drugs and it was synonymous. So in our world, we watched a lot of our family suffer through that. And it was, like, sometimes immediate. You got the monster. And then, what, five months later, six months later, you're gone? And now, you know, person was mad cool. Everything was cool about him. He was a provider, but, you know, had that little habit, had that little, you know, that exchange with that woman that time. And it came in many ways, and it attacked our, our communities like that, too. AIDS was also a contributor, you know, HIV. Other things, you can treat it and move on. 
other sexually transmitted diseases move on. But AIDS, it's like you get diagnosed and now it's like you done spread it to how many people? How many more broken homes that we just create? And gangs are born out of those households too, you know? So, you know, it's, it's just, this is, these are the components that like when we really sit down, it's not rocket science. You can sit down and conjure up all these like experiences and, and you can see how somebody could join a gang. But when I think about current times, right, and I think about gangs, I think about protection. Like before thinking of all that stuff, right, I think about how useful gangs are going to have to be in the end apocalyptic times because it almost looks like we're getting there, right? Because then everything hits the fan. Sure enough, there's going to be a, a gang of people on dirt bikes, on motorcycles, going through, sifting through houses, looking for resources, right? At a time, fighting back their oppressor, oppressor, you know, trying to establish a hierarchy amongst them. Somebody's in control of this, protecting your resources, right? And strategizing the way you would in war times. But now when I think about gangs and I think in that context, is it any different than what we see in Israel is it any different than what we see in Palestine? Somebody got an upper hand. Other ones, the underdog. The underdog is the underdog. They don't got as much. They're pressured, right? The oppressor wants to maintain control and is going to do whatever they could to maintain that grip. That grip is not meant to loosen. If that grip loosens, then there's a power exchange. And now the other people have that power. And now this is big power thing back and forth. But in all those instances, somebody is still an oppressor. And what do people got to do by nature to protect themselves? You got to organize because one person can't do it alone. And what do you organize around? Ideologies. And where are these ideologies born out of? Answering and responding to certain suffrages. And when you look into those suffrages, right, you find commonality. How much of us are suffering in this way? And then you describe these experiences. And what do you get? Compassion. Now you got compassion linking you together. You have these ideologies, right? You're supercharged because of your trauma, right? And, and you have this, this, this yearning for justice, but now you're what they consider radicalized, right? But you have to organize. And to your oppressor, they're going to demonize you. So what the oppressor is going to do? Going to put a bad name on you. That's a gang. That's a terrorist organization, that's a, you know, insert whatever phrase to demonize the people because at the core is reactive abuse. You're going to oppress people. You're going to take away their right to be humans, to just like look at the bare necessities, to just not even go too deep into it, but to tell you that just this whole wave of gangs is, is never going to go away. There's always going to be a need because there's always going to be somebody in a type of power that's trying to take away from another person all through society. We're going to see it publicly. We're going to see it privately. It's just always going to show up as it's showing up right now across the board, as it's been there for how many years already. This is something that's been ongoing. And we can learn a thing or two about it. You know, instead of looking at people and just demonizing them or just looking at people and saying bad guy, good guy, why don't we look at the problems and, and fix it from that angle? Because when we don't do that, we're not really looking at humanity. We're looking at a flag. We're looking at nationality. We're not looking at humanity. If we look at humanity, we'll, we'll come to a solution because, again, we have more things in common than we have different. And, and the peace comes from what we have in common. We're human. At, at, at the very core of what we got in common, we, we require food. My oppressor's going to keep that from me. We, we require, like, healthy maintenance, right? My oppressor's going to keep me from that. On the things that we have in common, you should have the utmost empathy because you require the same thing as me. 
this is not that you have a special dietary restriction and I can't really empathize with it because I don't understand it. You and your oppressing me understands quite well what my needs are because you need the same thing and you cannot draw up an ounce of empathy for me. But when I react, then it's a problem. When you have that kind of dynamic, I could have said that hypothetical. That is, in essence, what's going on with Palestine. But when you have that type of dynamic, you're going to have a gang born. And this gang is going to be called the kind of things. And it's going to be a terrorist organization. And they're going to fight for something bigger because the gangs of today may be fighting on the corners for territory, for respect because of little grievances amongst each other. But I guarantee you when the problem is much bigger than that, the gangs would probably unite and protect because at the end of the day, people are going to look at the, the crime statistic. Like, what, that's what the news reports. The news report, you know, these are the, the these are many bodies. This is the statistics. This is how many guns we found. It scare you. All right, cool. How many victims did we find? How many people did we help heal? Right? Because prison is not reform, really. It's punishment, but it's not reform. You're just slave. You just made a slave. And it's unfortunate because... Like, if I was to ask myself the question, like, so what do we do to rid ourselves of gangs? I don't know. I don't think that, I don't, I think that we should give people, a, I don't think we should get rid of gangs. I should, I think that we should shift the cause. I think every gang that exists should have their attention changed. That's it. It's beautiful that if, if Blood Nation has 5,000 members, that that statistic is looked at from a different angle. That's 5,000 people that can vote and put in a candidate to make change. That's 5,000 people that could give a helping hand, right? I think the, the, the issue is not that they're big in numbers. I think the issue, of course, is what they stand for. But if everybody there we recognize are just getting together to be safer, then we can rally against, you know, we can rally around something that keeps them in common. What are your needs? What charges you up? You understand? Like a lot of the things that is going on outside is that people just need attention. People need an outlet. And then our oppressor, the systemic racism, everything that comes along with that has us reacting. We're stifled. We can't grow. Look at the, look at the way you know, we have to fight for reform so much because of the way the laws are written and the way that affects us. Things like RICO law. You know, we're now, we're further criminalized. And it's not about reform. And it's not about, like, you know, what, with these consequences that we serve, that we face, is made to keep us as slaves. And you never pay your debt finally to society. You know, it's just, it's used to, to go against us each and every time. And it sucks because when you look across the world, like, this is really why we have what we have. Look at the penal system in America. And so when I think about gangs, I just think really we got to change the interest. And that's what I would put my attention to. I think this whole thing of like, if everybody had enough money and we didn't have economic issues, there wouldn't be a need to sell drugs. You know, we don't get the drugs in here, you know. At the end of the day, the gang is going to be contracted by somebody with even bigger pockets than them. Hey, you guys are ruthless. You know your way around. We're rich and we're connected to your government and we can get the product in there. We just need you. And now you just appeal to their needs because they're broke. They're tough, but they're broke. So there's always going to be gangs. You know, there's always going to be gangs. But it's crazy because the entire 90s was unsafe, going back to the 90s and this whole issue of, um, of gangs. But the shift with 1993 to about 1998, we would see now Latin, the predominant gangs were Latin, and then the drugs, and then the gangs moved over to being predominantly black. 
it's crazy because even amongst the gangs like a lot of racism existed too and that's even within like the latin gangs like growing up for me too in the 90s there was always a division and i'm half puerto rican and half dominican and i had this experience of it being like dominican versus puerto rican and not that my family took shots at each other much it would be more like my puerto rican side toward my dominican side if anything but in the gang culture and the prison culture like you you assimilated by race and a lot of that carried over into the street because you got a lot of people coming home they got high rank on the gangs that you're joining and or they could be somebody's older brother they're your og from the block so even if you're not down with a gang because after all this mix i wasn't even down with a gang anymore like i was done with that i went to court because you know we all got arrested everybody was a fighting amongst each other that was pretty much it for me but that doesn't necessarily mean that i wasn't around gang members because there were so many people down with different gangs and so like the puerto ricans were like latin kings and nietas and there was always a war between latin kings dominicans don't play patria and one thing about like the dominican gangs and the puerto rican gangs like the puerto rican gangs were the majority like they were just huge numbers now with the dominicans a lot of times they were picked on and for the dominicans credit like to be honest like a lot of times it would be like just because they didn't speak good english but it's like if you got that in common with me why are you fighting with me i, I would never understand that and possibly being half and half would be the reason but it's not about the language it's just people like to fight because they find differences instead of looking at what we have in common you're my brother we, you know we're from the islands we're you know we both speak spanish why are we beefing with each other you understand so a lot of that had happened and because the those were the gangs that were predominant they would be of course the ones that were in the majority and where would that leave black people for example right the blacks wouldn't really be down with that and at that time the black gangs weren't as strong you had crews like brooklyn and i remember like the the crew that we had to worry about if we was leaving the bronx was the decepticons like i worried more about them and i'd see more of them like on on like the trains and stuff like that or robbing people if we had to go to brooklyn or whatever than anything that had to do with the bloods at that time but throughout the years as times had changed you know that changed as well and let me tell you, it got to the point where, like, Dominican gangs, there was more Dominicans that was, like, Latin kings and stuff like that, that of, of the gangs that used to be more predominantly Puerto Rican. I ended up getting, uh, taking a liking to some of the, the Dominican gangs in Walton one time over me getting cut because I had gotten cut in school by some Bloods. This is Bloods by Clay Avenue. And that set was a crazy set. And um, you could look into the, the papers when you look at, like, the year 1998, which is the year I got cut, and you look at some of the more popping sets, you see, you know, Clay Avenue. And the dudes that cut me was from Clay Avenue. I had came up with my jewelry. I was going on the bus. The dude snatched my bracelet. He had said some words to me. I started hitting them. I was as I was hitting them, it was on a Friday too, so it was initiation. So and shout outs to um shout outs to Fiona on TikTok because of Fiona the curator, if you want to follow her, she did this um video that was highlighting the fact that schools during Halloween used to be dismissed for half a day and that was my experience because it was a Friday and it wasn't Halloween but during that time there was the escalation of initiations and the bloods was doing what they was going out eating people's food or you would get notices that you know somebody asked you for the time don't look at your watch because they'll probably rip your face open because those all those slashings I was one of those kids because the high school I was in people was coming and robbing all the time I kept telling everybody yo fight back they're gonna keep doing this it's not gonna stop 
Sure enough, it landed on me. One of these Fridays, again, I'm out with my jewelry, exchange some words with the dude. The dude starts swinging. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting him. Um, he's not landing nothing on me, but something's happening on the side of me. I see all this movement. I didn't know he was with somebody else. The dude that he was with was trying to cut me. He's swinging, and he caught me once on my cheek and on my neck, right? And so, damn, I got banged on. You know what I mean? I see all this blood on my shirt. I'm seeing blood, and I'm wiping it from my face, but I'm thinking to myself, I didn't feel anything. I didn't even know I was cut, but every time I wiped my face, more blood was on my hands, so I knew it was coming from me. I didn't think he was cut. I didn't think he was bleeding from, from me hitting him, so that's when I realized there was somebody all the, t all the while going through his initiation, and I became somebody's initiation. And so you get those reports. It happens again another week. That area gets hot, so they slow down from there, but they move to another school. The news is covering it. Schools are locking down. Schools are sending kids home early, and that became the pattern for a while. Because now you look into it, it was into the 2000s that continued. You still hear the threat of, you know, of, of blood activity on Halloween. And so I remember when that happened initially in a personal sense because that had also happened to me. But in that case, when that happened, I had a rage. I wasn't going to join a gang now. And again, this is the same thing. I'm traveling to a school that's not from my block, so I got to deal with people from another block, which is the case for anybody who left their hood for a school. You understand? So I, in leaving, you know, and, and, you know, I'm cut now. I got this rage toward bloods. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wear blue, right? And my area was more pre predominantly Crip. But at the time I was doing this, we didn't have like that many Crips in the area. Just a few, and I was cool with them. But I would throw a blue bandana, you know, match it up with some blue, and I'll have a kitchen knife in my jacket. And I remember one day I was walking past Walton High School, and a dude was looking at me. He was like, yo, you Crip? And I looked at him and I'm like, yo, who's asking? And then I pulled out a knife. I was like, nah, I just don't like bloods. So I just want to, you know, catch a blood. So that's, that was my logic of having a blue bandana or whatever, because I had just got cut by bloods and I want to attract whatever. So them dudes were like, oh, you know, you mad cool, come in here. So I go in the hallway, they had bottles, they were drinking. Yo, I spent the whole month cutting school, with, cutting with them, going to hooky parties with them. And it's crazy because I wasn't really in tune with my Dominican side. I was more involved with my Puerto Rican side. And so through hanging with them, going to the parties, dressing up, I think the years after that, I was more influenced by the culture and I gravitated more toward Dominican culture and, and, and just the way they partied, the dancing, because I didn't have those dances. I was more of a hip hop, um, you know, all the old school dances and stuff, um, New Jack Swing dances. And um, this is even before I started break dancing. You know, um, well, when I got cut at that time, because I'm covering the whole decade in the 90s was wild with gangs, whatever. But late 90s, no, I was already uh, dancing. But yeah, this, this, uh, you know, I got, I got really more into my Dominican heritage and culture. And these dudes was cool as hell. And they were, they were MTTN. And it's crazy because they're the dudes that a few years before that, I was on the other side trying to fight toward them. And fast forward four years later, I'm hanging out a whole month, month and a half, two months chilling with them, doing jacket deals and just the usual things that we did back then. And they were cool. But I got that out of that. And that was, a, you know, that was, that was the Dominican gangs, the Matatanas and stuff. Shout outs to Orejas. I, 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 don't, I don't know where any of these... And it's crazy. I, I love to see these dudes because they was pretty cool. Um, but this was pretty much what got me more on my Dominican side. It was through the gangs. Because this gang in particular, there wasn't... Like, you're always going to have people trying to make money in the gang. And, you know, there's always sets that just do that, whatever. But a lot of times, it's just like, nah, we just mass up so people don't mess with us. 
And with the Dominicans, a lot of times with, with their frustrations was just, you know, even the weakest of them. If they saw that somebody was going to get jumped, they'll come and not chill. We all going to protect you. And I always felt the family orientedness of like the Dominican gangs, like in particular with them, like it, it was just like, we're going to, we're going to go all out even for the least of us. And that was the sense I got from them. Cause it would be people who, there would even be like girls that would be around that I would look at them and like, I would look at them like the type that nobody really want to chill with like that, but they would come to their aid and protection. And to make sure that they are and, and that covering. I also witnessed that with like Albanians, the Albanian gangs. And they were big, like Columbus High School had a big presence of them. A lot of uh, Albanians in Pelham Parkway, you know, they rocked that red and the black fat flag. They love Beamers, you know. Um, but it was the same thing with that. You know, when they when they had beef or you had beef with them, like it, it, it was like family coming out to protect each other. And they'll protect the least of theirs, you know, and they all mass up to protect because it's like, you know, because of our culture and where we come from, we understand each other. We got this in common. We're not going to let y'all come and mess us up. So it was a lot of that. And especially during high school times, you got to deal with that. So high schoolers got a lot of pressure. It's way beyond just dealing with the academics of it. You know, especially when you're in the city, you're not, you know, even Jersey and, and the outskirts, you know, Connecticut and other places, you know, you can enjoy your parent dropping you off. But New York is a whole different monster. You got the subways, you got the bus. Or you troop it. How many people really got cars? Like, there's cars everywhere, but what I mean is, like, for the amount of people who are there, how many people really have cars? When I got cut on that Friday, I was back at school on a Monday. There was no, you're not going to school, what I'm going to do. I didn't get transferred. I got cut on a Friday. I was back to school on Monday. That's why I learned how to spit blades. You understand? That's another thing. Then you, you're doing all these things. I brought my first gun to school around that time. I was carrying blades in my mouth. I was putting blades in the sandwich to, to, to get through so that, like, you know, they checked me. I was all right or whatever. All kind of things. One blade to two blades, two blades in my mouth. I did that for years trying to be safe. This is, you know, little things that, like, even if I wasn't in the gang, and I wasn't even carrying blades in my mouth when I was in the gang. I didn't even have a weapon the whole time I was in the gang, to be honest with you. <laughs> you understand? But then fast forward now, so I'm not subject to the gangs that's in the areas that I got to walk back and forth through. Like, how fair is that? You understand? So it's just crazy. I, I look at it like this is an old head alert, right? Like back in my days, right? Back in my days, you fought your ops. You just got that aggression off. Nowadays, you see your ops and you slide on them and you want to lay them down. You want them gone. It's like way different times or whatever. Now, when you take an L, it's all over social media. News travels fast. Back then, you know, again, your name rang bells. It didn't really travel. It traveled, but like, you know, it had to be like word of mouth. You didn't have a video showing somebody knocked out. And in the same way, you have what? Embarrassments are bigger. Egos are even bigger. You got sore losers and you got sore winners bragging about what just happened. That video spread so fast. You understand? Like, just the whole culture of gangs and, and how it's progressed now, where it's like, it's not fist fights and chain gangs like back in the days escalating to knives now it's just guns and so many guns is on the street and being used and it's crazy because one day we might need them you know but as long as there's oppression there's going to be gangs i think with the way the world's looking right like if it became unstable right here on our soil and that shit hit the fan right we got to make good with the gangs like there's no way going around that we're going to have to create a gang if it's not already there we might as well jump on the infrastructure that's already there 
right? But on a serious note, I think mental health plays a huge role. I think we got to get connected to mental health. I said it earlier. I like to close on that because it's kind of like a call to action. If you're out there and you suffer from trauma, if you're out there and you got a kid growing in this wild world, you got kids that are approaching that teenage year, that's where these hormones and the camaraderie come in. Take my word for it. That was what it was for me. That was my pivot. So if you got a chance right now, connect with your kids. There might be a message inside your kids that you don't know how to pull out of them yet. And they might need therapy to unleash it. There might be something, a, a struggle that you just can't take out. You can't wrap your head around it. And it's okay. There's, there's experts for that, right? If we want to curb like the bad that's out there and, and, and the groups of people grouping up for the sake of bad, then let's handle where the bad started. Let's go within the core. Because we're, we're quite capable. With the exception of a few who are sociopath and, and there's just things wrong with them with the few who are those, for the most part, we all need opportunity. And I think if there's any way to approach the instances of violence, right? Because again, I don't want to call it gangs. I think groupings are good. We just got to make sure that we're grouping for the right thing, right? That's what I see about it. It's the mental health idea, you know, curbing membership, curbing the instances of violence. I think there's attack on minority families and we keep making it appear as this rap and ratchet TV when those forms are just art imitating life and we become spokespeople to our pain. And then in turn, we're told, oh, it's the music you listen to. Nah, it's the TV you listen to. Nah, all that is is showing you the condition that we are, the mindset that we already are. If you see it on TV, it's too late. That's what it is. That's what it is for a lot of people. That thing is not inspiring people to do all these bad. The bad's already here. All they're doing is reporting it, all right? It's all art imitating life, as is this podcast and project, My Bronx Story. Peace.